We are in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 51 through 55. Here we go. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Let's pray. Lord, open up our hearts, open up our minds. Holy Spirit, fill Fill this place, and I pray, God, that you would change us in a way that only you can. Hide me behind the cross so that we can see you, hear you, and respond to you. God, we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message today is The Right Spirit. We are in a series called Uniquely Luke. This is the next thing that is uniquely Luke. Luke has three main sections of how he set up his book. The first section are the birth stories. And he tells about John the Baptist's birth and Jesus' birth and Jesus' childhood. Um, Then it is Jesus' the beginning of his ministry in Galilee. Galilee is in the north. And now... This, the, starting in chapter 9, with these verses, he sets his face with resolve, with determination to go to Jerusalem. Uh, our Bible, the way it said it here, doesn't bring out the full force of this. It actually says the same Greek word twice, that he sets his face with resolve towards Jerusalem. And he is, the rest of Luke is on this journey to Jerusalem. So point one is the resolve of Jesus. The idea here is he is resolved to do something that is going to be very, very hard. As his ascension came near, as the the work that he came to do came near, he set his mind, it's time, I need to go and do my work. It means to be determined to do something without wavering. Now, what that work is that he is having to determine, I'm going to go and do this work. In just a few verses before this, he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in verses 30 and 31, it says this, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. That word departure, the NIV's got a little note there. You look down there. It is the word for exodus. He is about to make an exodus from this world. But the word exodus is very significant. Of course, exodus means departure, but it it references back to Um, when the the children of Israel come out of Egypt and there was an exodus. The whole book of Exodus tells the story of that departure. Well, here's how 
they came out. It was by God's judgments. God brought judgment on Egypt by killing the firstborn of every family, every animal. The firstborn died. It was judgment on the firstborn, and it was judgment for Israel on a lamb. They were to take a male lamb without blemish, one year old, and they were to sacrifice it and then apply the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And that's why the Israelites were passed over. It was because of this judgment. So Jesus is accomplishing, he's going to Jerusalem to accomplish an exodus of which the exodus in the Old Testament, it, it, that really happened, that really is history. The Jews celebrate Passover every year and remember and replay the events, but they foreshadow the big exodus. The big, the big exodus, that that exodus foreshadowed was God's judgment on sin. See, Jesus was both the firstborn and the Lamb of God. Both foreshadow that which would be judged so that there could be an exodus. Today, we're going to celebrate communion at the end of the service. It is literally the blood of Jesus that it was required so that God can pass over us. The exodus, his ascension, is his resurrection. I mean, it's more than just his resurrection. It's him being in heaven now. He is... Moses, he went before us. He went out first. And his going out is the promise that all who believe in him will one day be resurrected. That one day we will all, everybody that believes in Christ will share what he did for us on the cross. This is the work that's in his heart. This is the work that he is determined, resolved to do. So in this resolve, he is in Galilee. Here's, here's the picture. Here's Galilee. Here's Samaria. Here's Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. So typically, Jews um, were, at, were enemies with Samaritans for a number of reasons, which we won't talk about now. But So they never went through Samaria. They would always go around Samaria. Samaritans did the same thing. They would not go through Jerusalem. They would go around because they were enemies and they didn't go in each other's territory. So Jesus, it speaks of his resolve. When you're resolved to do something, you're going to take the shortest route. He is, he doesn't care that they don't go that way. He is taking the shortest route because he is resolving to go to Jerusalem. But it's not just his resolve to get there quickly. It also turns out his resolve is part of his mission. Part of his mission is to expose prejudice between people groups and show this prejudice because he came to remove it. So in John chapter 4, this is right at the beginning of his ministry. It says this. This is John 4 verse 4. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through. Now, he didn't have to humanly. Jews always went around. When it says he had to go through Samaria, it means he was on a divine mission. God's will meant he had to go through. He might not have, I mean, as a human being, he might not have known what was waiting for him, but he knew he had to go through. So he's going through Samaria and he meets this Samaritan woman. And 
He asked her for a drink, and she's like, why are you even talking to me? I'm a woman, I'm a, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, we don't have any relations with each other, we don't talk to each other, and his, his disciples come up, and like, why are you doing this? And, and Jesus, Jesus says, I have, I have food that you know not of. And he says, the will of God is my, is my food. And this appointment, this talking to this woman that's broken in many different ways, this is, this is why I came. This, this is my mission. And then he says this. This is verse 30, 35 of chapter four. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. When he comes through Samaria or aims for Samaria, what he sees are people that need his salvation, that need his redemption. This is why he came. He is training his disciples to think the way he thinks. Jesus is resolved to bring redemption, even when we're not. In May, we had Pastor Ezekiel here from Burundi, Africa. And he told us his story. And, and, and it went like this, tragic story. He grew up in a pastor's family. And killing started breaking out. There was one tribe killing another tribe. Over two million people died killing one another. Civil war in Burundi. Him and his family for five years lived in the woods to, to survive. During that time, he became an adult and he decided, I can't do Burundi anymore. So he left and, and went to um, Tanzania to a refugee camp. His family stayed. He went. He's like, I, I can't live in Burundi anymore. So while he's in this camp, he hears of this Bible college in Uganda, and he goes there, and he meets this guy named Stephen Mianji, who's been a missionary in our fellowship for many years. He's planted 300 churches in Uganda, and Stephen quickly sees the call of God on Ezekiel, and he enrolls him in his Bible college, and he becomes the number one graduate of, of this college. He is the top graduate. The Spirit of God is on him, and this guy comes, and he's looking for somebody to start another Bible school, and, and Stephen said, this is our top guy. And so he meets with Ezekiel, and he offers him a living place, a car, and a position with a salary, which would be the first time he had any of those, uh, any, having transfer, his own transportation, having a position that pays. And he takes the night to pray about it, and he's so excited about this position. He's so excited about this change in his life and the goodness of God. And that night he has a dream. And in this dream, God tells him to go back to Burundi. And uh, God says to him, the last generation has blood on its hands. And I want to start another generation with you. I'm calling you to go back there. And he tells him in the dream, if you choose not to go, many people will die without me. That's heavy. He wakes, he wakes up in the morning and he does not want to go to Burundi. <laughs> he is not resolved to go to Burundi and win the loss. But Jesus is. And he decides to go where Jesus is telling him to go. So he goes there, and as God would have it, he marries a woman that was in the other tribe. They begin this church. 
Right now, the mother church has a thousand people in it. They have planted 21 other churches from this. God is doing something so amazing in Burundi. The, the, the thousand that are in his current church, there are people whose relatives killed relatives in this church. He is, Jesus has brought people together in the gospel that naturally would hate each other, would be bitter at each other, and God has raised up, and, and it's been with many signs and wonders and including um, he has seen people raised from the dead. I mean, God has made a statement of his love, of his goodness, but his resolve of this mission to save people's lives. So last weekend, I was coming back from Baltimore. I was in Baltimore for five days with my son, Matt. And yeah, long story, but I got to be with, with Matt and his son, Ethan, and but the flight that my dear wife booked me on the way back left at 5.40 in the morning. Okay, so that meant the Uber had to pick me up at 4 a.m. That meant my quiet time started at 2.30 a.m. So I have my quiet time from 2.30 to 3.30. I take a shower, get ready, get packed. Uber picks me up at four. I get to the airport. I get on this flight to Detroit that is absolutely jam-packed. Now, here's the last thing I want to do on this flight. Talk to anybody. I am, I am incognito. I, I have got a Packer sweatshirt on. I am reading a book by Brad Meltzer that's a mystery. It has nothing to do with Christianity. There's no way anybody's going to know who I am or that I'm a Christian. And, and I'm just there. I'm going to sleep a little. I'm going to read my book. And uh, this, this black lady named Ingrid sits next to me. And uh, she wants to talk. And so, so I find out she's from Connecticut and... And I tell her I'm from Madison, and, and I kind of end the conversation. And I'm just kind of, I've kind of got my eyes closed. She looks over at me. She says this, you're a pastor, aren't you? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, why would you say? She said, you're a pastor. And I said, what do you mean? How do you, well, how do you know I'm a pastor? She said, I look at you, and I think of Billy Graham. And, and, and she's, no, 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 it's not what you think. She said, and I was saved in 1972 at a Billy Graham crusade. So I just ask her a few questions and she pours out the whole story. She almost died during COVID. She's got uh, asthma. And so she was in the hospital for seven days. The doctor said she should prepare to die. And, but by the goodness of God, she was raised up and God, God brought her back and God had a purpose and God is so good and God is so good and God is so good. And there's no one else talking on this flight. <laughs> I was not resolved to share the gospel. Jesus was. He loves people. He knows he is the only hope for mankind. He wants, he wants that story of his love told. The resolve of Jesus. Secondly, the patience of Jesus. First, his patience with the Samaritans. So here's James and John. 
Samaria has already had their chance. They went there early. The lady responded and, and then she went and told all her friends and, and, and people came and Jesus stayed two extra days. And in their mind, some, the Samaritans have heard the gospel. They have had their chance. It's judgment time. Let's, let's bring fire. And Jesus says, you guys don't even know what spirit you are of for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. Now, in many translations, that is not there. That line is not there. And you've got some translations that include and some don't. And the reason why some don't is because in the earliest manuscripts, it's not there. And so scholars try to figure out what was actually Luke, what did Luke actually write, and what was added by an editor later. And um, or Luke himself could have added it. Who, who knows? But it's not in some. And so then, and then the question is, is, is it the word of God? Is it not the word of God? And so some leave it out. Some keep it in. But the principle shared is the word of God. So here, here's the principle that is in the word of God for sure. Even though this is probably the word of God too, but whatever. Um, here it is. John 3, 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So from God's perspective, the world under sin is already condemned, already judged, and is heading for destruction. So Jesus came into the world, not to say, you guys are going to be destroyed. They were already going to be, they already had that from the Old Testament. Jesus came to, to bring salvation, to bring redemption. So the, the idea that James and John are anxious for judgment to come, Jesus is like, guys, this is the wrong spirit. This is the opposite reason I came. Yes, the world will be judged, but not yet. And, and I'm, not, I'm not wanting them to be destroyed. I'm here to save them. And just because they don't want to get saved right now doesn't mean I don't still want to save them. God is patient. He's much more patient than we are. How do I know that? Because that's why you and I are, are here today. Because of the patience of God. The Bible says that his kindness and his patience are meant to lead us to repentance. His, his kindness and patience to us is not an endorsement of our life and how we're living it. It is, I am, I love you, I'm for you, and I'm waiting for you to repent, turn around and align with me. And if you're not doing it right now, God's like, we'll, we'll keep waiting. We'll keep waiting. Because I came that they might be saved. Human beings are less patient than God. God is love, and the first sign of love is that, that love is patient. So that's patience with the Samaritans and with the world that, that is around us, that doesn't seem to be responding or even rejecting Jesus. God is patient. Secondly, look at his patience with the disciples. Now, when I was going over Luke 9 this week, I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned because between verse 44 and verse 56, 12 verses, Jesus has to correct his disciples four times. The first time is about what the Messiah is. He says this in verse 44, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. One translation says, let these words sink in. 
The son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And he describes his suffering and they've got a different idea of Messiah and he's trying to correct it. And so he says, it's different than what you think. Messiah is different. Then, Then he talks about leadership. And these guys are always in a conversation about which of them is the greatest. They want to be great. They're in competition with each other. And they're always like, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. Earlier in this chapter is the Mount of Transfiguration. So James and John and Peter think they're a little up on everybody else. And Jesus takes a child and brings him on. He says, listen, here's how leadership works. The least of you is greatest in heaven's eyes. I want you to stop competing. I want you to be like this child that just, just is simple, knows he's loved, is not trying to be better than somebody else because in heaven's eyes, to be great, you need to be willing to serve and you need to be willing to be childlike. Then it's on unity. The next verse is, is this, the, the disciples come to him and said, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. We told them to stop because they weren't with us. And Jesus is like, you shouldn't have told them to stop. Whoever's not against you is for you. There are, the, the, the kingdom of God is bigger than what you guys are doing. Everybody that loves me, everybody that names me is part of this thing. And you've got to have a bigger heart. And then, of course, the big one, God's heart for lost people. He turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You don't know what spirit you're of. This is, this is very similar to what he said to Peter. When, when he first tells about his suffering, Peter says, this would never happen to you, Lord. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You're in the wrong spirit. You're listening to darkness. Darkness is affecting your thinking. Now, when you think about them being in the wrong spirit, it's very disturbing. Why? They're Christian leaders. They have been with him for three years. 10 verses earlier, they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, beholding the very glory of God, having a spiritual God, hearing a voice out of heaven. Yet, here they are with energy saying something that is not what the Holy Spirit wants them to say. So what if Jesus is not there to rebuke them? Then their version of Christianity is going to be propagated because they're leaders and they've got energy and they're saying this is how it is. And Jesus, Jesus is there correcting them. Guys, it's not like this. So it turns out there is a way which seems right to man. This is Proverbs 14, 12. This is, this is not what, when, you know, we know between right and wrong. No, this is on the right side. This is, you think this is right. You have energy that this is the right thing to do. And the end of that way is death. We should all be a little more suspicious of our thoughts and our energy. Just because you think this is how it is, and because I'm a Christian, this is not just what I think. This is what God thinks because I'm a Christian. And so my views are God's views. Watch out. Could we, could we add a little humility, folks? Could we recognize that we can get in the wrong, the wrong spirit? 
and, and go the wrong way and then produce it and, and put it on the internet and Facebook it and all of a sudden we're out there and, and it's, it's not even what Jesus wanted. It's what we, we wanted. It's what we said. Whenever I feel a lot of energy on something, I back, I back off and take a peek at it. Uh, is this possible that this was just touched with pride? That it's my thing, not God's thing, and the enemy's touching it with pride and trying to get me to go with it. So I want to I give you an acronym for guidance. Guidance. G-U-I-D-A-N-C-E. I, I want to give you an acronym. Each one of these letters is going to stand for something, okay? So G is God. U-I is you and I, and dance is dance. So so guidance is God, you and I, dancing, okay? So salvation is when you join the dance, where God, God invites you to dance, and, and you get out on the dance floor knowing that other people are going to mock you, other people are going to criticize you, other people are going to, and, and you don't feel good about it, and, but you're out there because God told you to, and that's salvation, Okay? Okay, sanctification is when you stop leading and let Jesus lead. Because here's how it works. When we, we tell God how we're going to live our Christianity, and, and everybody does this, everybody starts out like this. You've got energy, you're saved now, I'm going to do it for Jesus now. It's all about you. I'm going to use my talents for Jesus. I'm going I'm to give my life to Jesus. And, and so you get all these ideas, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and, and God's going to help you, and how can I miss? God's with me now. I'm, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you get out there, and God bless me, God bless me, God bless me, and God's not blessing you. And your question comes in your mind, like, what on earth is going on? And it's, when we lead, guys, it's a mess on the dance floor. It is a mess, and it's in front of everybody. And the frustrating thing is, Jesus, if you insist on leading, he will let you lead. Yeah, go ahead. Let's see what you do. Let's see how that works. God, I really, I really think we should do this. And he's like, really? Yeah, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, all right, let's see what happens. And he's waiting for us to get tired. He's waiting for us to be weary. He's waiting for us to recognize there's no fruit here. I'm not having fun. No one else is having fun, but it's all God. So here's Luke 9, 57. This is just a few verses afterwards. 57 through 62. 59 through 62, sorry. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to them, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at my home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So these are believers. They've said yes to the dance. They call him Lord. They, they want to follow him. But they say this. Oh, I will follow, but permit me first. Permit me first. Permit me first. I call them permit me first Christians. Permit me first Christians. And here's what Jesus says about permit me first Christians. They're unusable for the kingdom of God, for the work of the kingdom of God. They're saved. They're going to go to heaven. They're loved. But I can't use them for kingdom work. See, the Bible says this. 
Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It will not be accomplished by human might or human power. So you can be out there and doing a lot of stuff and not producing anything fruitful. And Jesus is waiting. Let me lead. When he says, follow me, do you know what, what another way to say follow me? Let me lead. Let me lead. And they're like, no, Lord, permit me for, I'm leading. I'm leading. You, you can't, you're of no use in the kingdom of God. Why? Because everything with the kingdom, for the kingdom to be advanced, oftentimes involves you need to be obedient right now. You need to, it's, it's, and, and this is why I like the imagery of a dance. I know that the imagery of a dance is awkward, maybe for men, especially with Jesus leading. I don't know. But the, here's why I love the imagery of the dance is it's intimate. And when you have somebody in sync, like, I, and I hate to use this illustration, but Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, because no, none of the young people even know who that is. But the dance is beautiful and it's flawless because the partner responds to the smallest touch. And what Jesus wants to do is teach us how to let him lead. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm humble and meek of heart. Your yoke will be easy. And, and, you, and you and I will change the world. But you've got to let me lead. You got to get rid of the permit me first. You got to get tired of being your own ruler and say, God, I've tried it this way and I'm tired and it doesn't work. And I want to, I want to dance with you, Jesus. You lead, you lead. All right. That brings us to final point, living in the right spirit. So here's how Jesus leads us today. Here's how he dances with us today. This is, this is John 16, 13. Jesus says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to indwell you. I will speak to him, and whatever he hears from me, he will speak to you. He is sent to give you everything I have to glorify me, but he is my representative. So the Holy Spirit speaks, and it's from Jesus, and then we are to learn how to walk by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Now, problem, you can't see the Holy Spirit. It was hard to say Jesus was wrong when Jesus was standing right there. It's just hard, and he's right there. How are you going to say, Jesus, I don't think so. I think you got it wrong this time. You can't. He's Jesus. But the Holy Spirit comes with these promptings and these whispers, and what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Free choice is a terrifying thing. <laughs> whenever God speaks to you, whenever God gives you a prompting, whenever God says, go this way, go that way, you have a choice to harden your heart. And what happens when you harden your heart is it will be harder to hear him next time. Or you can join this adventure of saying, God, I'm not good at hearing you, but when I feel like you're talking to me, I, I want to respond. I want to respond immediately. And every time you respond, when you feel like God's speaking to you, you become softer. 
And you hear him more clearly the next time. So it, you, we're going to become better at the dance. You know, the, the, the show Dancing with the Stars, and I feel bad. I've never seen it, but I know what it is. It's, 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 the, it's the idea that a professional dancer, dancer can teach anyone how to be a dancer. If you let the professional lead, he can make anybody a good dancer. And Jesus is teaching us how to dance. But it's by the Holy Spirit. So here's what happened to me. So we were in Boston. This is 26 years ago now. The Holy Spirit started pouring out. It was during the Toronto revival. The Holy Spirit was moving in powerful ways, but also confusing ways and ways that were beyond what he had done in the past. And so fear got a hold of some people and there was one group of people trying to get, get me and Shane, Shane was my youth pastor, out of the church and um, it was just messy and, and so um, I, I felt like God was saying to the, to the leadership, you guys got to choose between unity and revival and they wanted both revival and unity and at the end of the day, it was easier for everybody if Shane and I left and so that's, that's what happened and I remember the sadness that I, I felt, not about me leaving, but about these people saying no to the Holy Spirit. The people, God was inviting a congregation to do something together, and they were, they were saying, no, we'd rather just have church. And it made me very, very sad. And, uh, and so probably a couple months after we left, somebody in the church died that I knew that was a friend. And so we drove four, we were now at a different church. We went four hours back to Boston to the funeral. And after the funeral, there was a, a luncheon. And up there, they call it a little lunch. And I'm at the luncheon and I'm just going around shaking people's hands. You know, it's good to see you again. And um, hopefully, because I've moved on, whatever hard feelings were there are not there anymore. And there was this one guy named George. And I came up to him and put my hand out and he's like this. And he's just mad. He's just angry. He will not shake my hand. And it was very embarrassing in front of everybody. He will not. I, my hand's out. He won't shake it. I move on, whatever. So I get back to Montevideo, which is the, the, the new church that I was at. And uh, I'm in a time of prayer. And I'm thinking about what happened with George. And I'm like, I'm like, God, that was so wrong, what he did. That was, that was humiliating. I just, honestly, I just feel like he owes me an apology. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me. Here's what he says. I want you to write George a letter and ask him to forgive you. Come again? <laughs> are, are we even in the same conversation? <laughs> I have just told you how wronged I was, how wronged I felt, how wrong everything he did was, and he did it in front of people, and I deserve an apology. What? And you say, well, Pastor Tom, how do you know that was the Holy Spirit? Trust me, I was not thinking it. I, I was thinking nothing like that. And I'm like, why would I ask him to forgive me? And, and then it just became clear to me that even though he's older, he was a young believer and he was going to carry this bitterness and it was going to hinder his relationship with God. So if I wrote him a letter, it would help him to let go. I'm probably not going to see him again anyway, but it would help him to let go. And so I'm like, oh, whatever. And so this is what I do whenever God tells me to do something that I don't want to do. Here's what I do. This is the strategy I use. You guys can all take this. I get it over with quickly. Seriously, I just, 
I don't, I don't overthink it. I just, God's telling me to do something I don't want to do. All right, let's just do it quickly. I don't want to disobey. I don't ever want to become hard in my heart. I write the letter. I call down there, get the address, get it, get it in the mail. Quick. Within an hour, that letter was gone and out, and I had, I had obeyed God. Living in the right spirit. Turns out to live in the right spirit, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this morning's one-year Bible reading was Acts chapter 2. It was Pentecost. It was the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And guess who was there? John and James were there. Peter was there. And they became filled with the Holy Spirit. And then something amazing happens in Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read it to you. This is Acts 8, 14 and 15. This is the next time John goes to Samaria. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The ones that wanted to pray judgment down on them are now being sent by God to the same people to once again pray something down, but it's not judgment. It's the presence and the blessing and the goodness of God. This is what the filling of the Holy Spirit does. So here's what happened with Faustin. I get a call from Faustin inviting me to come up and do their family camp. And I'm going to do it June 29th to July 2nd. My whole family is going up there. This, so first time back in 26 years. Now, just so you know what family camp is, the camp, it's Sand Hill Lake Bible Camp. It's right near Faustin, which is where the church is. But at family camp on Sunday morning, the whole church comes out. Well, the last time that we were there, it was because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, lots of trouble, please leave, we left, da-da-da-da-da. So here's what's happened since then. So the new pastor, pastor right now, his name's Seth Johnson. Seth is, he's really like a son to us. We, we just love Seth. He's the pastor there. He was in Shane's youth group when the Holy Spirit fell. He was, he was part of that youth group that was just burning for God. And uh, another member of the youth group named Holly was in Shane's youth group at that time. Of course, adult now, she has kids of her own. Well, she's followed Shane at First Free. She follows the services online. And so she happened to watch the service that I did on the anointing a few weeks ago. And she linked it to Seth and several of the other leaders in the church. And so at our national convention, which is just a couple of weeks ago, we had lunch with Seth and Christy talking about family camp and coming. And Christy, his wife, says, tell me about these pizza parties. And so I'm describing the pizza parties and God touching youth and the Holy Spirit coming and crazy stuff happening. And she says, we want that. We need that. So they've got me coming. They've got, Seth, they've got Derek coming to do the youth. And they've got Michelle Hauge coming to do the children. And the very place that I felt deserved God's judgment. 26 years later, we're going back. We're going, we're, we're going back, not with words of judgment, but to, to, to come and pray for the Holy Spirit to come and pour out his spirit. 